Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world. In the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura, I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out and take advantage of our quarantine sale at westminstereffects.com. You can use uh, coupon code COVID. 15 to get 15% off your entire order. That involve that also includes mods, all that good stuff. Uh, Why so, don't you just do 19%? Like COVID-19? Because it's, because it's 15%. <laughs> Give them 19% no, or more percent. I don't want to irritate any of my retailers, just in case. <laughs> just in case. Um, so we'll do our introductions in reverse order uh, because we have a guest in person. So joining us via the internet, we have... Uh, this is John Ross, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, and uh, sleepy, sleepy boy from uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska. This is significantly earlier than we're used to. Uh, we're recording at what is it, eight twenty-one in the morning, which is not even seven thirty yet for you. No, it's, Bless it's your not. Yeah, well, it's uh, okay. And I need person, to be a well-adjusted adult. <laughs> and in person, as usual, this is Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer. Um, what's the title now for me? MVP. My, yeah, my dad gave my dad league. gave you the title of MVP of the National Preaching National league. Preaching League. I can't even remember how he said that. Perpetual All Star candidate. <clears throat> yes. Gold Glove recipient. Yes. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Better, better than just Bradley, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, That's right. So, Bradley, introduce our guest for us. So. Um, our guest today is uh, a man that I consider to be my pastor. I think every pastor needs a pastor, and um, this is a guy that is a huge uh, blessing in my life and um, a guy that I have the privilege of meeting with every week to read Scripture and talk about all things kingdom and relationship with Jesus and church, local church ministry, uh, Brian Onkin. Uh, who I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself, but uh, I'll say this much. He has been a pastor for many years and leads a ministry called The River Upstate, and uh, we're just really glad to have you today, Brian. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the ministry you lead? Thanks. Yeah, my name is Brian Onkin. I'm the academic director for an organization called The River Upstate. Um, the River is committed to providing Bible school quality training for the layman in the church. We really think that average Christians should learn to read the Bible for themselves. And, and in the church culture in these days, it's um, it tends to be consumer-driven, that you come and you listen, you don't come and learn. And so we're looking to kind of swim against that stream and provide the kind of training and teaching um, in the greater upstate area that will allow the average Christian to open the Bible for himself or herself and read and understand it. I've been in vocational ministry for, oh my goodness, four decades or more. Been involved in a couple of church plants. I've pastored large churches and small churches. And for the past eight years, I've been doing this kind of training. Mm. I, I'll say this much. I know that the River Upstate is its a local ministry. Mm-hmm. And in order to really take advantage of it, uh, in an ongoing way, you, you need to live here. Um, but I will say this, the, the reading scripture class that you offer, um, was, is better than anything I took in Bible college, um, and has done more to shape the trajectory of our discipleship here at Res Church and the way we do small groups and the way I teach on Sunday morning 
than any other training teaching class I've had. And um, I know that travel right now is not really uh, something you want to do. Yep. But uh, <laughs> I would say this to any pastor or local church leader that's listening. Um, if you've got the means and you want to fly Brian out uh, to do some training with your leaders on how to read scripture well and how to teach others to read scripture well, it would be probably the most worthwhile investment you can make in discipleship in your church. So a little plug there for you. Thanks, Riley. Uh, Appreciate that. Fly him out, do it, make it happen. That's my endorsement. Well, they could get, even though the river is a local based ministry, um, they could again, not to make a shameless plug, they could get a copy of more than his God card. um, A book that I wrote that, looks at some of the miracles of Jesus and the model of how to read scripture is what drives that book. Yep. Um, it's cool. not merely a devotional book on the miracles of Jesus, but it really intends to shape the way you read the text so that you can understand what the miracles are about. And I've actually plugged that book on this podcast oh, before, okay. and I've said this, mm-hmm. that what I love about that book is that it makes me want to read the Bible. And, you know, a lot of times we read great books and we go, man, that was a great book. And, yeah. and maybe it's talking about, you know, truth of Scripture and right. what have you. But um, this book is great. You'll read it. You'll love it. Brian's a great writer, but it'll make you want to read the Bible. And right, I think which that's, was the design. So I'm glad to hear that. So, yeah. That was the intent. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yeah, and, and we've done that uh, scripture reading class uh, how many times now at Res? Like three or four yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, and I believe I was around for the very first one that we did. And at least with the people who attended, I saw a difference in how they were approaching yep. things. Yep. Yeah. Where, where basically kind of the overall message is, yeah, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can read this and understand Absolutely. It. Absolutely. I remember the first time we taught at Res Church. One of the gentlemen at the back of the church um, at the end of the class tearfully said, I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years, and no one ever helped me understand that I could read the Bible for myself. And, yeah. and yeah. he was glad-hearted but tearful, and I'm, I'm delighted at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of the, the eunuch's uh, sentiments. Uh, during the mm. story of the tale of Philip, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, you know, how am I to understand if, if no one is there to teach me? Uh, you know, we all need that direction. It's, it's, uh, it's really cool to hear, uh, you know, at least a couple of references of, of how that plays out. Thank you for sharing. Right. And there's a difference between how will I understand unless someone teaches me and preaches. So there is a hearing of the message that comes because through gifted teachers. But if we're not careful, both those who teach and those who hear begin to privilege the one speaking rather than their own reading. Sure. So I think I think about Paul shows up in the city of Berea, and Luke tells us that those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind, but searched the scriptures mm-hmm. for themselves to see whether these things were so. So yes. the people of okay. Berea yeah. are, check, are checking out Paul by Back listening check. with yeah. the scriptures with the, for themselves. And I think that there are, we live in a Christian culture these days where an individual Christian's perception that he or she could read and understand the scriptures for themselves well enough to assess what they're hearing from Bible teachers, I think that's a, a lost value. I mean, Absolutely. I don't, I don't know that that happens a lot. So there's very much a herd mentality 
not bad because the Lord has provided shepherds for the flock, but the individual believer is still supposed to have ownership of his or her relationship with Christ through the word. So Paul can write to the Colossians and say to the believing community, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another. So there's a baseline kind of teaching that's supposed to be happening in the life of the church that won't happen if the average Christian feels like the the Bible is a closed or secret book that they can't open for themselves and read. Hey, man, I'm Lutheran. I'm right on, I'm right on board with uh, the Bible in our own language. That's, that, that's our bread and butter, man. It's like, it's like you're, you're take down my Luther you picture. nailed some paper to a wall or something talking about that, right? Well, it, it was Luther who, Luther who talked about, for himself, he beat on texts until they yield their water. He really thought that texts could be understood, texts could be read, and... John, for, since nobody else can see this except for those of us in the conversation, John is showing off his Martin Luther art. <laughs> is that original photograph of Martin? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. Uh, it's a lithograph, actually. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's a it's a piece of art that was a gift, but I have questionable sentiments about because they've taken the. <laughs> They've taken a, a, a rather antique uh, page of scripture and then done a, an ink print of old Marty Boy on top of it. And I, I'm not really, I don't know. I mean, You're not saying that Luther overshadows the text, are you? I mean, that's not that's, what the, yeah, that's the thing. That's not what I want to say. That's, that's not what I want to say. But, like, that's like, it doesn't even want to go back on the wall now. So I guess the, okay. the decision is made. <laughs> the, yeah. <clears throat> there are reasons I call myself an Augsburgian Christian rather than a Lutheran. Uh, there you go. But that's mostly because the LCMS is freaking crazy <laughs> so uh to, goodness. this is what you cody can't now. segue now uh but it's really sure. kind of providential how how all of this worked out we've been working on getting this episode together for what two three weeks now at least mm-hmm. and um and we wanted to talk about the purpose of the church gather. We're going to do uh, basically two parts in, in the series. Um, I guess we're recording that all today, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've we've got this whole coronavirus, COVID-19 mm-hmm. nonsense going on, and, and it's knocked out uh, Resurrection Church's gatherings for the next couple of weeks. John, has it knocked out uh, yours at Christ Lincoln? Uh, it has by uh, by governmental decree even right that's right public gatherings of ten or more so uh, yeah we are we are one hundred percent online now we went from that being a a dream that we had three years ago and kept wondering how we were going to do it to uh, figuring it out in in afternoon uh, yeah so <laughs> with with yeah. pretty reasonable quality so yeah we are we are all online like the rest of uh, Christendom at this point it seems. Yeah. So, except for the OPC, because they're not really well, <laughs> yeah. to violate any of those. Uh, that's jokes <laughs> I've seen from OPC pastors. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just poking fun at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the joke that um, I saw was when the the news came out of uh, groups of 50 or more. I was like, well, the OPC doesn't have to worry; they can still meet. 
You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Though homeschool families may have to worry about the group yeah. thing. It's yeah. um, but anyway, so we uh, – this is really a good time to kind of reorient – uh, why are we gathering as the body of Christ on the Lord's Day? That's a that's a great question. And before I specifically address that, this idea about not gathering because of the government medical recommendations, mm-hmm. I, I hear some Christians pushing against that, almost like, well, they're persecuting us. They're they're right. getting in the way yeah. of the church, and. Certainly, we need to talk about what the purpose of the church gathered is, and I do think there's an interference there, but I don't think it's an intentional interference. I don't think it's persecution, like in other places where the church can't gather because because they're Christians. Yeah, you right. know. And so I was thinking through this with some other brothers who were struggling with the well, why shouldn't we continue to meet? Because um, our God is a Lord over all, and our God's going to protect us and keep us. And and I thought about a, a couple of things. I thought about um, so if the local weather service told you that there is a tornado warning in your area, that a tornado has been seen, and they are suggesting that you not gather in your church building, would you not take that as reasonable advice? And when, no, no, the Lord is going to protect us whether the building blows down or not. And it's like I'm not sure that that the the sensibility of insisting that we continue to meet in light of what the medical and the political people are telling us would be safe for our broader culture. Right. Makes I don't I don't know that we need to push against that. Although personal opinion and we're not going to go here. I have some questions about the draconian measures that are being instituted sure, and whether in fact yeah. Yeah. Uh, are they how legitimate is it? But but yeah. But all that notwithstanding. I'm yeah, not sure that we can true. argue that this is a um a, a church issue that we need to continue to meet in in light of these we're not being threatened by the state that's you know? correct and i told i told some people just this week that had some of the same questions i said look when we get an ice storm here and there's an inch of ice on the roads we right. call off church mm-hmm. because right. it's not safe that's and correct regardless of what you think about the hype with this virus or not that's correct it, it it seems to me that we could anchor to Romans 13 and submit to governing mm-hmm. authorities who are looking out for our best interest in this, right. hopefully. And uh, secondly, that this is a great way for us to care for one another mm-hmm. and a great way for us to care for our community by doing our part to right. help quell the spread of this thing. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I'm kind of looking at this situation as a, you know, the love God, love neighbor kind of thing. Mm. Um and, and I know this isn't directly tied to church, but, you know, it is, it is kind of hard to love your neighbor if you infect them and they die. <laughs> uh, I, I read a, an article this morning on... It might be uh, good for some of them, but... There you go. Uh, but I, I read a, an Out article. of context? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I meet with him all yeah. the time. Yeah, I read an article this morning on the 1919 Stanley Cup. Uh, between the Montreal Canadiens and some team in Seattle, but they got through six games and called it because everyone got sick. Mm-hmm. And, and five days after that, one of the players actually died from mm. the Spanish flu. Wow. Right. Um, and, and they had stopped uh, promoting not gathering because people wanted to go back to normal. 
right. uh, where most most of the deaths, if I recall correctly, happened in 1918. Mm-hmm. They did. And, and then they relaxed it in 1919. 2,500 people show up for this game 100 years ago, and the people died because of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so it's we're not saying you absolutely shouldn't gather, but it's just kind of, you know, take a step back and examine what's best for your church community, right? Right. I do think that I, I am <clears throat> I, I have some personal concerns about the change in the church culture because of this. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And what I, what I mean by that is, uh, um, in some of the pastors that I've talked with over the past couple of weeks, this idea of yay we get to now learn how to do church online. And my personal take, personal opinion is, church online is never going to serve. The body of Christ, the way that the church gathered, serves the body of Christ. Yeah, um, yeah it's, I, I, I think we all share that sentiment. And so, the, asking this question: Does God actually intend for us to be physically connected to each other in a gathering? I think that's an important thing to wrestle with. Particularly, it, we're going to be coming out of this one day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And lots of people who, in a sense, have not been in the habit of doing church online, even though that's a really big thing these days. Eh, I don't feel like going to church. I'll just watch church. Um, I, th- I wonder about how that's going to affect the the body of Christ at large coming out of this. Will it diminish, you know, the church gathered? And so mm-hmm. the question is, are there, are there calls in Scripture for the church to gather? I don't think there there's a specific text I could turn to that would say um, the way the church in America does Christianity is the way that they're supposed to do church. Mm-hmm. And so we could talk about all of that. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about how 3,000, right, the, the church met, gave them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and the breaking of the bre- breaking bread. And Granted, that's that historical setting, but you can get a sense for what they valued by what we're told there. They gathered for the apostles' teaching and for prayer and for fellowship and for the breaking of the bread. They they could not do that scattered. They had to do that gathered. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says that we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. But there's something that happens when we're together that doesn't happen mm-hmm. when we're apart. And here's how I think about that. I think about things like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, when it says that the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. And as Paul talks about spiritual gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, he talks in chapter 14 about, so what's the outcome, brethren? When you gather together, one is gifted this way, one is gifted in another way. And that kind of mutual ministry, I do not think can happen over the waves, over the over a podcast. Yeah. I think the Spirit moves in the life of a saint into the life of another saint with presence yep. rather than with absence. Right. And I mean, I think about um, you could sit and read Paul's, I mean, Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 and be blessed by what you hear Peter say there. It's not the same thing as having been there at Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 responded. Mm-hmm. You know, the report of a teaching, the report of a worship service is very different than being in the worship service, being present with others where the Spirit of God is actually doing something. So 
um, I, I do think that I, uh, um, when I look at how Paul talks about the life of the church and when I look at how the church is pictured in the book of Acts, I think that we can make the case that something is to happen when believers gather together that isn't the same as hearing about believers having gathered together, if that, mm-hmm. ma- if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes yeah, perfect absolutely. sense. Makes perfect sense. So, if if we know that believers gathering is uh, and physically gathering is right. the biblical ideal, and is you know God does something unique in that gathering. Uh, we've talked about this before mm-hmm. that the moment of preaching is huge. The yeah. Holy Spirit works in a unique way with a physical preacher, and you know it's not that video campuses are bad, shameful, wicked in and of themselves, or that they couldn't be useful alternatives in some context. Right. But incarnational ministry is what the Bible calls us to in general. Uh, it seems to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Does something ha- if in fact preaching and worship leading, if these are in fact things that the Spirit of God does in and through the individual for those who are gathered in that moment in time, which I think we can make the case biblically that that's what a spiritual gift is, the Spirit of God moving through a believer for the benefit of other believers in that moment, in that place, then something happens in a gathered worship time that doesn't happen anywhere else. It just can't because it's a different um, a different setting, a different collection of people for a different purpose. Yeah. It, it, does yeah. this mean that, that the Spirit of God might not move in the lives of people gathered around a podcast? No, I'm not saying that 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 can't happen. But I think you have to honestly look and say, is that a different experience than being there in the moment? I mean, you you hear Christians all the time saying, I wish I could have been in Jesus's presence. What do they mean by that? I don't think they mean I really would just like to wear sandals and togas. I mean, I think (laughs) I think what they mean is though some probably. Yeah, maybe. Yes. But I think what they mean is. There would be something about being in his presence right. that is different than understanding his presence. There's Being in his presence is different than having a report of what happened to those who were in his presence. And I don't think that's a, a, an unbiblical idea at all. I think something happens in the presence of gifted people that doesn't happen apart from the presence. Hence the reason why... The church is supposed to gather because the the Lord intends in Ephesians, Paul writes and says that the body builds itself up together as each one exercising their gifts provides what they need for the mutual building up. I don't know that the mutual building up can happen at arm's distance, you know, at social distancing distances. And that's why I'm a little concerned about what's going to be the fallout of all of this. Are we going to see a number of people who have now grown accustomed, even for three weeks, four weeks, you know, to not showing up, but being content with just getting a download from the Internet. And they assume this is this is this is as good as what happens when I showed up. And and I think that's that's one of the concerns I have about what's going to happen out of this. I tell you what I think we ought to do in part two. Cause, yeah. You know, we the, the purpose of this episode was to get the theology of the church gathered down. Right. And so 
I think we could focus on that. But a great thing that we'll talk about in part two maybe is just to let you, Brian, speak to, okay, all of us pastors and churches that are now scrambling to mm. figure out if, if we don't already have online capabilities, uh, this is what we've got to do, right? We're, right. we're almost like right. forced. You're forced to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some ways in which we can um, – Maybe mitigate, uh, mitigate. Thank you for that word. Mitigate some of what you're talking sure, about. So we'll save that for part two. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you said, uh, there's not necessarily an explicit command in the new Testament to gather. Correct. Well, Hebrews 10, don't forsake the settling of yourselves. Right. You know, right. there, um, you, I don't think that you can read Paul's letters, when he talks about how the body is supposed to function, how we're supposed to encourage and support and love one another. Right. Um, I don't think you can read in Corinthians about gathering on the first day of the week to celebrate together. Mm-hmm. That is a descriptor yep. as opposed to a mandate, but it's mm-hmm. like, so... Not, not so much a thou shalt gather on. That's correct. Today. Right. That's correct. But if you're looking at the picture in Acts and the letters the epistles, it's really clear this was the way that life was lived. Mm. Does it say you must gather for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, sing two songs, have a message, some announcements, and a closing song, and then mm-hmm. greet everyone as you leave? I mean, no, it doesn't say that. Right. But is there this rich picture in Acts and the expectation of that picture being lived out in the letters that tells us this is how life was lived. Yes, I would say that's very definitely the case. Yeah. You would you would say at the very least, uh Christians flying solo is not really a thing. No, yeah. I, it's interesting if you look at the word saints um in the New Testament, um every time the word saints, it doesn't mean uh dead Catholic people, um, <laughs> um, it, it refers to those who have been brought into life, those who are set apart for God through Christ. The word saint in the New Testament appears in the plural every time except once, mm. where Paul says, greet every saint, which again which suggests that, that, that <laughs> yeah. you, no one is doing the life of a saint flying solo, to, to use yeah. your expression. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, man, I hadn't thought about as soon as you started to talk about saints, I was like, it is plural. Effort, it is. Man, it, it is. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually pretty incredible. I hadn't thought about and that. And see, before. that's not a mandate. It's not saying that you must gather together. But I think it was inconceivable for Paul to think that saints, an individual saint grows up on his lungs, on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that would like any person doesn't grow up on his lonesome. Well, hermits do, but <laughs> but I don't know that the hermit life is the life of, of a believer because yeah, they don't grow it, up. They grow weird. Oh yeah. You say grow beards? But so if in fact, if we, if we think about the body, well, um, either drawing on first Corinthians 12 or Ephesians chapter four, or First Peter, if you talk about the body, no individual member, no individual believer has all the gifts. Right. Hence, no individual believer has in and of himself what she or he or she needs to grow up into maturity. We desperately need the involvement in interaction with other believers because... I, I am not the body. I'm a pinky on the body. I'm a you know an ear on the body. I, I am some part of the body, but but I am not the body. And if God so 
placed members in the body for the mutual upbuilding, I think it has to happen through presence with one another. I don't yeah. think it can happen through absence. Yeah, absolutely. Or distance. So with these gatherings of mm -hmm. Christians, what's the primary purpose? Should um should it primarily be for the benefit of those who are already Christians? Or should it be primarily geared, uh, as we see popularly mm -hmm. in, in the United States, geared toward those who don't, don't know Jesus. the Lord? Yeah. Um, I think that's been a, a growing trend in American Christian culture, that mm -hmm. the church gathered, that is, whenever the large group meeting is, is almost pitched for unregenerate people, for, right. for people who don't know the Lord. I find a couple of problems with that. One is, well, let's let's take a really big picture view. Listening to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. Now, here's the thing. You can't teach non-disciples. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to make unregenerate people, disciples, before you teach them, mm -hmm. right? So yep. the Great Commission, although we think about it as a single thing, it's actually got two prongs to it. It is the making disciples and the teaching disciples. Right. Mm -hmm. So the question is, when the church gathers, as saints gather, as believers gather, what is supposed to be happening there? Well, what they need is teaching. Mm -hmm. For them to grow, they need to be, they need teaching, mutual teaching, um, teaching from those who are gifted, Peter can write and say that we're supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, candidly, unregenerate people can't grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. they, they, can't, they can't worship. They, they can't. And they can't worship. Yeah. They can't worship. They can't grow. In fact, the instructions in, for instance, the instructions in the epistles are anchored in, you are new in Christ, so you can live this way. You do have the Spirit, so you can live this way. Mm -hmm. You do understand the truth, so you can live this way. And that can't be offered to unregenerate people. Yeah. I mean, right. and so I think that two things happen with a church that sees its gathering as primarily for the lost, for the unregenerate, is that the message that gets offered will be the same message week in and week out. Yeah. And it won't feed the saints. It will be an invitation to people who have never heard the gospel. Mm. And so that becomes a problem. But if, in fact, the week in, week out, the, the believing community is not nurtured and fed, and we then perhaps create the impression for the unregenerate person who attends church that church is for them, as mm. opposed to, no, you are actually, in a sense, on the outside looking in. Basically a spectator. We, we we have to create an environment for an if if we're doing church for the unbeliever we have mm -hmm. to create a spectator environment right. because they can't participate in what the life of the believing community does right right uh, and so um, although Paul was an evangelist apostle that is he was doing a church planting thing where he went if you read the book of Acts it's really interesting to watch what happens when he gathers with the believing community like in Acts chapter fourteen and Acts chapter twenty. He teaches. So there is a proclamation part of Paul's ministry. The proclamation is what he does outside of the gathering. He proclaims to those who have never heard. He does this on Mars Hill. He does this at the river where Lydia gets converted. Um, Peter with, does this in the house. results all over the spectrum. That's correct. Yeah. But that's outside of the gathering. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you watch Paul in Acts, 
when he gathers, it's teaching time. It's not proclamation time. And here's one of the places where our common language perhaps leads us in a in a misguided way. We use the language of preaching to talk about what happens on a Sunday morning. And almost exclusively, the language of preaching or proclamation in the New Testament is for the inaugural proclamation of the message to those who have never heard. Hmm. It's not the word that's typically used for what happens when the church gathers. You know, what, what the word that's used is to teach. The disciples are sent out to proclaim, to evangelize. What happens when the church gathers is, Matthew 28, Teach disciples, instruct them, right? And so mm-hmm. there are two different functions there. And Paul actually is one of the few in the scriptures that we see doing both. He's doing the proclamation of those who have never heard, and then he's doing the teaching to those who have gathered. So I can think of only one passage in the New Testament that talks about an unbeliever in a worship gathering, and it's in 1 Corinthians 14. Right. And even there, Paul is not teaching about how to reach unbelievers, but he's talking about how gifted ministry is supposed to be happening in the life of the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14 that here the church is gathered and and gifts are in operation and an unbeliever comes into your midst and he falls on his face and says, surely God is in your midst. Surely God is here. Mm -hmm. It's not that the message has been pitched towards them. It's not that the gathering is for his or her benefit. Mm -hmm. It is as someone who stumbles in and experiences spirit gifted ministry within the body, they are, convicted right but it's not been pitched in their direction so you know i i think that the the whole notion of a church being a seeker sensitive church it's really a bait and switch oh yes it's it's a it's insensitive to the seeker Mm -hmm. by nature because it, it like yesterday we went into our sanctuary and we we took a test drive with recording some of the elements of the online service that we're gonna we're gonna put on for this Sunday, and uh, my band and worship team are are not here during the day. They're, right. they're off. So I got on the guitar and my wife got on the keyboard, and because we didn't have anybody else, we put Keith on the box drum. Oh, bless our hearts. And. <laughs> That as long as he's not singing, we're okay. That's right. That's like asking me to hang crown molding mm. in a house. That which it, is I, what he does. Well. <laughs> it's what he does really well. It it we put him in a position to do something that he could not sure. do. Sure. Mm-hmm. And he struggled through it, and we sure. laughed about it. But sure. in in when when you have a church gathering and you do worship, and then you do teaching, and you take communion. Uh, and you give opportunity for offering, and then you try to bill all of that as being geared towards or sensitive towards seekers. Or, and, and I would assume that for most churches, seekers means people that aren't regenerate, mm-hmm. regenerate. which mm-hmm. that in and of itself is a misnomer mm-hmm. because you know no one seeks after God. According, yeah, yeah, according to Paul, <laughs> right? I mean, no one does good. No one seeks after God. All have turned astray and gone their own way, mm-hmm. and so. The, the the notion of being seeker-sensitive is really a bait-and-switch because we're saying, hey, come here. We're going to be sensitive to you, but we're going to ask you to do things you can't do. That's and on, cr- top, on top of that, it, to keep going through Romans 3, it's, they have all become worthless. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we've got this uh, message that uh, has pervaded through 
uh, American Christianity of of you are so worth it. Yeah. Oh yes. That God yeah. that God sent His yeah. Son. No, that's that is the exact opposite reason. Is he sense. was so worth it, mm. right? So, so then when we think about the possibility that the life of the community is so very attractive that someone might visit on a Sunday morning who doesn't know the Lord, <clears throat> should we be seeker sensitive? I think there's a right way to talk about that. Yeah. We don't we I don't see any call in scripture or any model in scripture that leads me to think the saints gathered, the church gathered is gathered for the sake of the lost. But does this mean that we speak in such ways that someone who doesn't know the gospel can't understand what we're saying. No, I think I think there is, in that sense, an appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about this even when I think about um, ch- growing churches, small churches that are growing through addition, not through conversion, which does happen. You know, the church mm-hmm. down the street closes, so those people look for another place, and they come to a already existing church. And sometimes small churches liking the culture that they have speak their own lingo, their own language. And so even from the platform, the pastor will talk about everyone knows Joanne. And if you're visiting the church and you're a believer, you don't know Joanne. And so (laughs) that kind of sensitivity, I think, is appropriate. So if, if you're holding a church service and you have some expectation that there might be unbelieving people there, then when, for instance, you, you serve communion, to talk to those who might not participate and let them understand why they shouldn't and why it's okay, and you know, to not be ignorant of that, but it's not pitched towards them. It's the, the gathering is for the believing, not for the unbelieving. But that doesn't mean that we need to be insensitive to the fact that there might be people here who don't know the gospel and don't know Jesus. Yeah, right. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, and John will probably like talking about this, but Brian, you've, you've, you and I have talked about the fact that in the early days of the Reformation, Martin Luther was encouraged to have a believers only church, right? right? I mean, yep. that, that was, he was being pushed to do yep. that. Um, and I, talk about that. Like what, well, what, I, 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 I'm hardly a Luther scholar, but my understanding is that um, Luther was not the only one who uh, embraced a solid gospel message in the days of the Reformation. And there were some um, some who were referred to by him as swarmers or enthusiasts. And there were also other, um, I guess you could call them Anabaptist believers at the time, who were pushing against Catholicism and trying to to embrace a more biblical sound gospel understanding and i really think it's one of the places where luther struggled um in wittenberg he not only was faculty at the at the school but he was the town pastor Mm -hmm. and so as he began to grow in his understanding of the gospel um he he did away with a lot of the roman catholic trappings and made the gathering a preaching service, a proclamation service, and he was challenged by some um, to have a believers-only church. And as I read some of Luther's writings, he struggled greatly with that. 
<clears throat> because he his concern was if he had a believers only church then where would these people who had been accustomed to going to the catholic service hear the gospel mm-hmm. i'm not sure that's actually a really great answer i mean i i love much of what i've read of luther um luther had so many things he was wrestling with so many things that um the the fresh breaking into the gospel that led him into i don't know that he got everything right and i do wonder at times about his understanding of um the church whether he confused proclamation which he wanted to do to those who had not heard with what needed to happen as the saints gathered and he saw his community as one that regularly came to church. So I'm just going to let them continue to come to church so that I can proclaim to them. And I don't know that he made a healthy distinction between proclamation and teaching. Just personal opinion there. It, it's kind you of... Know, uh, and it's, and, it's and maybe that's part of my tradition. Oh, sorry, right. buddy. Um, a bit of internet delay there. Um, you know, and perhaps that's part of my tradition um, mm-hmm. that... Um, throughout my education and throughout my past um, that I never really noticed was intentional for any reason was that maybe there is this muddling of the Mm -hmm. two um, in Mm -hmm. some sort of official capacity. Now, I've been through the confessions, um, and I don't recall anything of that, but as I'm sure you know from your dealings with many Lutherans is that uh, it hardly ends. Uh, with the confessions, oh yeah, um, as far not. as adherence to uh, what old Papa Papa Luther boy says, right? Um, but and, and that, that's not that's not to dig yeah. Luther, but simply say Luther struggled with the very thing that we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. And, and I, when I press on Scripture, um, not to ding what God did through Luther, uh, did he get that distinction mm-hmm. right? You know, um, again, not trying to laud any man. Um, I can remember when um, growing up as a believer, uh, I was able to attend um, Calvary Chapel out in California, mm-hmm. which was on the front edge of the Jesus movement. Yep. And thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ through Calvary Chapel. You basically just said that you attended recent church history. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, I I attended Big Calvary in Santa Ana. I was I attended for a while Greg Glory's church, Calvary Riverside. Um, but it was very interesting to me when I would listen to Chuck Smith Sr. talk about evangelism. And they had worship services and teaching that was for the church. Mm-hmm. But Chuck was um, attentive to using language that anybody could understand. But when he was pressed on evangelism about, so should not your worship services be evangelism services, his comment was, shepherds don't beget sheep. Sheep beget sheep. Mm-hmm. And his, yep. the idea was, when the sheep gathered, my responsibility is to feed and nurture and encourage and build up sheep. And then the sheep go out and the proclamation happens outside of the gathered church. The proclamation is what the church scattered does rather than what the church gathered does so if you attended calvary chapel um from time to time 
as a text would give rise to something, he'd be, he would work through books. And if a text gave particular emphasis to a call, response to the gospel, certainly that would be part of what was talked about that morning. But the services were not pitched for unregenerate people. The services were pitched for the believing community. He fed sheep. And the result was thousands and thousands of people came to know the Lord, but not primarily through what was happening when the church gathered, but primarily what was happening as the church scattered. So if, if we could just summarize maybe the answer to the question, the primary purpose of the church gathered yeah. is worship and discipleship. Yes, worship and teaching. Worship and teaching. And, and, and mutual, mutual gifted life. Mutual gifted life. So that's the primary purpose. I think and, so. And which means that it's not that evangelism can't happen in the corporate worship setting. Sure. But, and it's not that we can't be mindful of unbelievers of that not. are among yeah. us. You know, I just tasked my elders recently. I said, all right, if let's think about evangelism in the corporate worship setting. And if we were to take three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes in a service, uh, if the sermon itself, which this is another issue too, is that not every teaching that I do includes enough of the gospel essentials to invite people. to I, I think that's exactly right. I've, yeah. So I asked my elders, I said, look, if, if let's, let's imagine that we have a service planned, we're in a text that isn't evangelistic in nature. And, but we feel led by the Lord. We're, yep. we're in the this, moment. This, this is the participation with the alive and active Jesus and mm-hmm. his kingdom agenda. We feel led to invite unbelievers to salvation in some form or fashion what would be the essential elements of Absolutely. that? And um, what would we need to say yep. to invite people to repent and believe sure. and be baptized, right? Like, so it's not that we can't be sensitive to evangelism, but that's not the primary purpose right. of the church gathered. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we could probably have some more conversation about this, um, invite people to respond. Because it's really fascinating when you look at Jesus's ministry, you look at the ministry of the 12 or the 70, you look at the ministry in the book of Acts, there's never an altar call. Mm. And let's save that for part two. Yeah, yeah. but I'm just saying. So so yeah. to your point, to your point, to talk to your elders about what could we say about the gospel, because I do think it's right to, to be attentive to the fact that there might be unregenerate people here. And for someone to respond to the gospel the book of Romans, Paul writes and says, how will they believe if they haven't heard? Right. And so if you're doing teaching on a Sunday morning that is primarily for the believing community, there are things that you're going to be talking about that the unregenerate can't track with at all. It's not that they can't yep. understand the language, but it, it, it will not change them because they're spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. For them to be spiritually alive, there is a essentials of the gospel that could be shared. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Peter shares a few words in Cornelius's household and the spirit falls and they all get saved, you know, right. Um, um, Philip explains a passage out of Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch and he is drawn to faith. And so to think, are there times and places where in a regular gathering, we take a few minutes and explain, maybe you're visiting here. Maybe you've not been in church you need to understand we're talking about this Jesus and here's what we understand about Jesus and what he's done in our lives and 
what God is doing in Jesus in bringing people from death to life, to, to make that kind of explanation, and then, in a sense, almost just leave it hanging. If you'd like to talk about that, if you'd like to explore that, there will be people over the, all over the place afterwards that you can talk with. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that way you, you proclaim and trust the Spirit of God to move on the hearts of those who have heard the message for the first time. And that's yeah. a really helpful reminder for the church of what the gospel is. That's explicitly. correct. And there are even going to be people who have been in church their entire lives where they've never really understood. They've known Or couldn't articulate. Mm-hmm. Or couldn't articulate. And yep. all of a sudden it clicks. Right. Right. And then you can tell them, oh, by the way, you can go and tell your friends, neighbors, people in your, you can tell them the gospel. Yeah. Because that's, that's the way life is. Which is so interesting, isn't it? Because then when we get this right, mm-hmm. um, our evangelistic proclamations actually are enhanced all the more because it's not just about evangelism. We're also discipling the believers among us. That's correct. To say, look, here we're modeling the church. What what kind of conversations? What kind of language can be used when right. the church is scattered? Right. Not when it's gathered, but when it's scattered. We're scattered mm-hmm. into our neighborhoods, right. places of business, and schools, and we get which you can't go to now. Right. Which yeah. you can't go to now. That's true. That's true. But at the same time, we're we're yes. we're discipling as we're evangelizing. Absolutely. 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 Good stuff. Shall we leave it there for uh, and for part go to one, part two? Absolutely. And, uh, we norm. This is you know our listeners are familiar. This is normally the time when we uh, open it up for listener questions that are submitted on our Facebook group, and we call it the Inquisition. Mm. Um, but we'll skip that this time, and we'll just sign off and go on to part two. So follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and leave a five-star review. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about supporting the show at anchor.fm, even though I just kind of did. Make sure you use coupon code COVID15 at WestminsterEffects.com and get 15% off. Uh, John, leave us with the bass thing, uh, the bass rig thingy that I just recorded, and uh, we'll leave them with that. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Cody from Westminster Effects and Nose Pedal, and I put together a bass rig for my metal band that I figured I'd show you, uh, especially because it uses pretty much everything meant for bass in the Westminster line. Uh, The only exception here is that we didn't include the Wittenberg bass preamp because we're running through an amp with the band, so it's here, but it's not on the board. Uh, So let's just get started. Here's the clean tone. Preamp. Add on the Calvin compressor. You can see the voicing switches to the right to let more bass through. And you can see I don't like a ton of compression on my bass. I'm just trying to even things out a little bit. So let's also go to. The 1689. So this thing has a clean blend, actually works really well on bass. Where it is right now is actually no clean signal. It it functions as a clean cut. So this is regular symmetrical clipping like a traditional tube screamer. Uh, Low gain, but also no clean. So let's roll up that gain a little bit.
let's mix in some clean, kind of fatten that up, give us some more bottom end. personal favorite is roughly here with asymmetrical clipping so closer to an SV1 style clipping so I'm gonna take a quick break drop tune this thing a little more and show you uh, an instrumental track from my band and how this will sit in the mix <laughs> 